Hi, Gregoire. Hello, Edgar. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm okay, yeah. So we're back to our discussions. What are we talking about today? Well, today we are going to talk about ways we justify our presence. Oh my. Yep. <laughs> In yep. the world? No, <laughs> as an artist. <laughs> That's enough struggle for one podcast. Yes. So if you want to know more in detail, I can tell you. Please enlighten us. I will. <laughs> so we are going to talk about how to know if an intervention was needed, the impossibility to actually offer a case presentation, how to present can be an act of defense, maybe to defend analysis or the analyst, whether or not some people want to be well analyzed, the tension between what we say and what we should have said, and the difficulty to trust the process. Mm -hmm. And we will conclude with um, the anxiety to justify our presence and fees. Mm. Well, I think in other words, we are answering the questions that have been around for 125 years. Which is? All of them. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, All of we these are. questions have been around for 125 <laughs> yeah, I mean, years. It's a discussion. <laughs> yeah. You know, the audience will get very good answers. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. <laughs> I want to say right away that I apologize for the quality of the sound. There are some cracks here and there. Also, I try to edit it in a different way. I still edit the repetitions that we do that are not necessary, but I left more the real speed at which we talk. Okay, so now people will listen to our, the natural rhythm we have. A little bit more, yeah. Okay. So mm. there will be more silence. Mm-hmm. Let me know what you think. I just wanted to offer something different. Yeah. Last time we talked about how to keep the psychoanalyst alive. In some ways, we also have to keep the podcaster alive. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes we have to make uh, some changes in the way we produce the podcast, at mm -hmm. least for us. Which is a good point to follow now with news. Yes, The point is, we might not be able to maintain a rhythm of one podcast a month because you and I are going to have more responsibilities in the coming months. Yes. And so, if we can, we will. We will do. Yeah. And if we can't, we won't. Yeah. So, don't be surprised if maybe there's nothing in March or something in March but nothing in April. Mm-hmm. I think it's unlikely we won't have anything for two months in a row. But still, if we decide to stop the podcast, we will let you know. That's not what we're deciding. But we are mm. being more reasonable that uh, we'll need to uh, slow down. Yeah, we have more responsibilities. Yeah. And therefore, we have to moderate ourselves. Of course, if anybody has a theme that they would like us to discuss, please let us know. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. 
And uh, since we didn't do that last time for the January podcast, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. One month later. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess now you have a sense if it starts as a good year or not. Yes. (laughs) My name is Grégoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Francisco Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. I guess to address this question of um, the way sometimes we justify our presence or maybe that's partially what we do. We could be reacting to something from the patient but sometimes we also are, we might be genuinely, spontaneously Mm -hmm. reacting in a way that, mm, yeah, it doesn't seem like it was necessary in the treatment. I think what you're saying is the intervention was not align with what was needed yeah. in the moment or or what the patient needed of course you never know we will never know you know there are some um, that's the thing about psychoanalysis sometimes you can always say you never know maybe mm-hmm. it was needed well do we believe that i think some of our interventions are misplaced it's not the right time. They are coming from a place of anxiety. I have this person in pain in front of me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Let me say something. As if by saying something, I will make the person feel better. That says more about my anxiety than anything else. And how could we know? That I'm coming from a place of anxiety? Yeah. Well, I think if you are well analyzed... <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's oh. a pre-existing condition. <laughs> well, as you know, quote unquote, yeah, well in the analyzed. best of worlds. Okay, yeah. <laughs> then you have a sense of your own dynamics and how they are, you know, engaged in participation with others. So, but then you wouldn't need supervision. Well, but the supervision offers a second look. Meaning, the <laughs> and the second look often <laughs> tells you <laughs> something different than the first. The first look, and then it expands. So well it expands the, pos- the realm of possibilities. You know. Okay. I don't think that there is only one way of intervening. I think that the way we intervene will move the treatment in one direction or another. Yes. What would be my concern is that what I present to the patient stalls the treatment. Stalls or prevents it. Or prevents or forecloses the exploration. I mean, I, I think a good rule of thumb yeah. is if you speak more than your patient... Something is going on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something's wrong. Something. I don't know yeah. what is wrong, but something yeah. is wrong. Yeah. Okay, but 
aside from that very extreme very extreme oh man sadly i mean i don't know if it's very i was gonna say it's it's not maybe so extreme in the sense that it's frequent but i don't know how it's frequent because it's so extreme that actually people mention it or because it actually happens a lot that i don't know you know And unfortunately, the way we present cases in institutes are embellished stories. So we usually present in a way that will fit into what is expected. You know? And so if I go and present a case where I'm picking for 30 minutes of a session, I know that that would not fit into what is expected. So I wonder if, as we present, we tweak how much we talk in the room. If? Well, I, you I, mean still, if? I, I still have some hope that... <laughs> I mean, I think it's impossible <laughs> to not transform. As you're talking, I'm thinking it's like talking about a dream. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you bring up a dream to someone else, you try to put into words uh, an experience of a different quality. Mm -hmm. And through putting it into words, you are uh, missing a lot of the content. Yes. You can't describe the dream. There are, there are you can describe an image. Yes. I mean, you will leave a lot of the content. You, you leave outside many many layers. Yes. And also... It's also transforming one mean to connect to another. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you are presenting uh, through specific tools an experience that happened with different tools. Mm. And, well, I wasn't going to go for that first, but let's go this way. And I feel like when we can be very tempted to justify our presence in a presentation by containing what has been experienced in a story, mm -hmm. in a cohesive, cohesive story. Yeah, very coherent, very well put together. A theory. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the purest part is a theory. Yes. In some ways. Mm -hmm. Like you you mm -hmm. abstract something that can be reproduced every mm -hmm. in many different situations. But that's not real. Well, don't the case... If you think of case presentations, they usually end very well. Happy ending, you know. Many of them. If not all of them that you hear. The person, the symptoms subsided, the person developed a more cohesive ego, developed ego strength, the relationship with the therapist deepened. Everything is beautiful. And so, yeah. And I think s it happens, but for every patient, I doubt it. But it ever diet, meaning analyst, analysand, it's not like that. We are transforming because it's impossible to share exactly what happens. Correct. 
and a question we are raising or not really raising it's not a question everybody knows so it's more something we are bringing attention to today is the fact that there are different ways to share and to transform and that some of them will actually be more about justifying maybe our presence, justifying psychoanalysis or an idea of psychoanalysis mm -hmm. than actually to to confront ourselves as individuals and as members of a group with I don't know what exactly. There's some sort of certainty we want. Why would we want that when we know that there is none? Well, some people find certainty in believing in God and they are going to heaven after. So they feel certain about that. It gives them some sort of, you know, it decreases their anxiety, the dread. I don't think we are exempt of that in psychoanalysis. I think we... Sometimes I hear some people talking about their theories as if... If you shake the theory, you're shaking them as human beings. Lately, I've been reading some listservs, very well-trained psychoanalysts who, in the setting of a listserv, the projections of and the creation of the other and the attacks and the aggression are so clearly vivid there, but they don't seem to observe that in themselves. And that is coming from places of shaking the ground. When they feel that what they are certain about is shaken, they attack. These are groups of psychoanalysts who are supposedly well analyzed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we be well analyzed? Uh, I mean, we can be well enough. Well enough, yeah. Uh, But do we want to be? That's a fantasy that we will be cured. Maybe also some of us don't want to be well analyzed. You don't? I don't know. I think I want to be analyzed enough for me to be helpful in my work. I mean, what... Oh man, this is going everywhere. But anyway. Yes, it's going... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. It's a discussion. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm wondering how people experience psychoanalysis and even among psychoanalysts. Did they still experience psychoanalysis as um, a tool to conform them? That's a question of the creativity. To conform, that the patient will conform? Yeah. Yes. P psychoanalysts are patients. Yes. That's Sometimes yeah. they tend to forget, yeah. but It, that's, they, they that's have true. to be. Yeah. And did they... I wouldn't be so shocked to learn one day from someone who would tell me that they felt like their analysis was just about submitting to the analyst, and so they didn't want to be what analyzed. They wanted to be, to stay fucked up, not in a creative way, but fucked up to 
piss people off. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see that. And I would say that that would be, in, in fact, that would be a, uh, a protest against the rigidity of analysis. And if that's the case, then, of course, you don't want to be well analyzed. And so you go to a f- forum or a listserv and you, sp- and you sp- spit it out. Yeah, you say whatever you want to say and attack people. Under well. the protection of psychoanalytic theory. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because uh, you're repressing, you're uh, whatever, you're in denial, you're, well, you're not well analyzed. Like all those, I mean, I've... I I put myself outside of those uh, this certain yeah right oh well, yeah you're, you're <laughs> well <laughs> maybe you don't participate yeah I don't even read I mean I <laughs> I see I see some people writing and I'm just like oh you again there you go <laughs> <laughs> delete <laughs> um, I'm not I have to say it's it's a matter of uh, self care as as we say today. It's self-care, yes, and watching this happening in front of your eyes is a reminder of the breaking the illusion that psychoanalysis is able to cure. And for me, it makes me humble. It's a reminder that at some point when I began my training, I thought that psychoanalysts were somehow special because they were... They knew their dynamics and they knew what to do with their aggression and they would sublimate their arrows and blah, 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 all of that. And then after years and years of training, you say, wow, (laughs) how naive I was, (laughs) which maybe that's what my analysis did. You know, finally, I am grounded in reality. Here you go. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) I was well well analyzed then. Okay. (laughs) So don't move. Don't change. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah I remember something similar where uh, I remember my analyst in France at some point was telling me but do you it seems like you think psychoanalysts are pure souls detached <laughs> from <laughs> anything yes and a few years later I think the, the switch happened when I was like but I, I told her that I, I was like but I th- I think I realizing that sometimes you don't even know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> she was very proud of me. <laughs> she was very proud. Of you. I mean, I, I want to believe. You think it. you want she didn't to believe anything. that? <laughs> but I was very proud of myself, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even this person who listened to me and who I believed would understand everything I would say. Yeah, I mean, I I would have to realize that, yeah, sometimes she would say things, and even her, she was castrated. Mm-hmm. She had no full control of what she said. No. And I think it happens to all of us when we say something and we realize as we are saying it, shut up, and yeah. we cannot shut up because we already started. And sometimes we do that during the recording, and then I'm like, shut up now. And, and you edit. You and see? I remove it. Yeah, that's uh, the magic of editing, which we cannot edit in the... No. No. So when the patient says, what? What? And, you know, if we become defensive, let me try to explain what I said. 
instead of saying, "Well, that was a crappy intervention." Oh, I I say <laughs> I've I, said that. I've said that. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to look look at it in my own. Yeah, I will analysis. do my my own analysis and self reflection. Yeah, because that was that was crappy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you see, so we're going back to this, um, to the theme we were supposed to address today. That I think that's a moment indeed where the question of how we justify our presence is very acute. Mm-hmm. Because in such moments where we say something and we really, what did I say? There is a tension between what we should do and what we did. Mm-hmm. And that's where there's a choice we have to make very quickly. Who do we protect? Oh, yes. And the thing is, why sometimes do we decide to protect not the patient, but ourselves? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I want the money. And if the patient he, leaves... I'm I'm saying saying that with a little bit of uh, yeah, but even that shit. even that is incorrect because sometimes def- of course it defending ourselves is not a sure thing going to maintain the but that's a fantasy. It's a fantasy to believe that if I explain myself again and again and again, which I know I'm defending something, but the patient might be convinced that I know what I'm doing. Isn't it also a fantasy that there could be such a thing as a common language? Meaning? Meaning that actually sometimes we are confronted with the fact that even if we uh, technically speak a similar language, Mm -hmm. we actually emotionally don't. That we don't come from the same place. As a patient? As a patient and analyst. Uh And that sometimes we... And I can see myself doing that sometimes also. Indeed, as you describe, we push. We try to force it. Mm-hmm. As if in those moments, we cannot let go of something. And this something might be partially that we are not on the same uh, wavelength. We are not on the same page. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it that be more appropriate as an intervention meaning saying something like it seems that we're not on the same page that would be the best intervention but I, the, the uh, question i'm raising is mm. or the point i'm raising is sometimes we don't do that sometimes we don't we push but I, I think the more experience we gain sometimes experience comes with years of work but also with supervision the more we get of that let me talk from my own experience. I'm becoming less and less prone to defend my position. I have said things like, oh, well, that was a crappy intervention. or And I have said, so that we are on the same page because we're not. What do you mean by that? I tell the patient. It's, it's a spirit of being humble, I think. And sometimes we can't be humble. And I wonder if we can't Partially because we don't trust the process. Oh, that's a good point. Exactly. Because what we trust is the power of the analyst. Yes. 
But actually, the more I practice, the more I feel like I am part of the process. Mm-hmm. But the process is around me, above me, whatever. But it's not me. It's us. It's the in the experience with the other. And if that's the case, then we can say that sometimes, many times, we learn from our patients. Oh, yeah, we do. And Or, as Nancy McWilliams would say, we sometimes we need to be supervised by our patients. Let's take it as a metaphor. You, yeah, because a, it sometimes it <laughs> <laughs> we is. go to the first example being <laughs> the analyst speaks too much. Yes. As a metaphor, yes. Allow ourselves to be humble, to be in the presence of the patient who consciously or unconsciously knows more about themselves than what we know about them. I mean, uh, yeah. Yes. So if that... It's a given. So what is my authority, you know, there? But what is my authority shouldn't be just rhetorical question no. to say there's no authority. Because there is a bit there of an is authority. There is an asymmetry. Yeah. Yeah. But the asymmetry is what propels the treatment. It's not what decides the path of the treatment, which is w- comes for, with authority. The authoritarian analyst immediately conceptualizes the patient and says, this is where we're going. That is rigidity. That is authoritarian. But it's it protects the analyst from being pushed by the patient. It protects the analyst, but it also protects the vision we have of psychoanalysis. Yes. As a field, as a group of professionals, yes. When you fix a car, the car... Which I in. have no clue how to do that, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. me neither. <laughs> okay, so what That's we're talking fantasy. about? <laughs> what when an I, example! Okay, I let's, let's see differently. <laughs> when I see a, a sexy uh, working man <laughs> fixing the car, or mm-hmm. working women mm-hmm. fixing the car, the car comes in broken, and sometimes um, the car comes out in a better shape. Mm-hmm. That's a fantasy. But there is a short amount of time between the two moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, relatively short. Yeah. A few days, a at week. At the most. Yeah, at most. Boom. When you work in psychoanalysis, you're not going to see changes in a few days. No. So the more I work, the more I find this aspect very important is that you don't really know what you're doing. Not in the sense of you're doing you're doing shit and you should just you shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. More like there is such a delay between what could be happening within you, what could be happening in the session, and what could be happening in the patient and how the patient will transform what happened to him or her later on. Yeah. It's a very complex process, and it's a very slow process. It's hard to keep... I mean, it's so slow and also disconnected 
what do you mean by disconnected? Disconnected from the everyday life. Well, you shouldn't be. Well, but look, look. I have a tissue next to me. I want to hold the box. I'm holding the box. Mm-hmm. I want to help my patient. I can't just help them. I mean, this is not psychoanalytic. No, I cannot help them. Yeah, you cannot help directly. Like, no. Oh, I feel so sad because blah, 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 blah. And you'd be like, okay, okay, okay. Um, let's find a solution. You know? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's not, that's not analysis. Approach. No. So you're like, okay, tell me about that. And you're like, oh, it makes me think about that. And sometimes you help guide the patient, etc. Mm-hmm. But there's such a delay that what stays with you is the process. If you try to keep with you, when I try to Mm -hmm. remember all the steps, it drives me crazy. Yeah. I I had to write recently a presentation. Mm -hmm. Like, how the hell am I going to translate? Years, for example. a decade, like it, uh, a decade of, it was of like treatment. 11, 12 years old, uh, mm-hmm. long treatment into a paper, into a language that is not the language of the analysis of the experience. And I said this, this happened. How the hell would I know? Mm-hmm. One can say, well, it, you don't be over dramatic yeah, when you have intervention it's important yes 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 but me trying to be uh, intellectually rigorous or honest i don't know how my interventions are impacting my patients to know it's a very strong verb but i think you have a sense and the patient will communicate something i mean how you how the patient is in the blue moon Yes, exactly. You may have a sense of where you're going. Yeah, sometimes you have a yeah. very bright and connected uh, interpretation. And yes, the patient and may the feel like, okay, this, yeah. is, this unlocked something. Yes. It happens. Yeah. Reality is that a lot of the times you say you do an intervention and it flies throughout the window. So <laughs> <laughs> One of my patients has an expression. She says, I'm going to put this in the clouds. <laughs> it's for later. <laughs> I it's have, a nice I have said when a patient doesn't, you know, react to my intervention, I said, let's put that on the table, but we, we don't have to talk about that now. <laughs> and we never talk about it, perhaps. Or we may bring it back or not. But there are interventions that don't resonate, period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For my experience, it is silence and not so abruptly disruptive interpretations mm-hmm. are basically everyday work. Mm-hmm. Yes. My point is really to emphasize that what is happening is outside of us. Mm-hmm. We can think that, I would say, our presence, our continuous presence, Mm -hmm. is most likely what's at stake. The relationship in the diet, yeah. Yeah. Then you need theories to, for you to make sense of it, to tweak 
the work one way or another to make mm-hmm. sense in general of your work of the patient's reactions but i feel like the most important part of our work is our human dedication to our patients yes yeah we care yeah yeah and that is that's not tangible necessarily i want to go back to your point of this is a slow process because i think that's connected to the ways that sometimes we have to make ourselves present in the room because of our anxiety that the process is very slow so sometimes it's not only the patient who needs to acknowledge that the process is slow that we need to acknowledge we as the analysts yeah unless we are on the same page patient and analyst we will have interventions that there are misplaced or out of uh, alignment and i think they are coming from that place of trying to push the process instead of allowing the process to unfold a process that is invisible a process that is not concrete or tangible with the inner world because going back to the mm-hmm. example of a car whatever you want to fix that is solid mm-hmm. you have a beginning and you can see physically what you're doing you have a yeah. sense of does it hold does it don't hold i mean then you can have a lot of unexpected uh, consequences but still you can see and you can have a physical sense of what's going on mm-hmm. in our work you don't really you, the patient is going to stay so i guess something is happening it's not necessarily a good thing sometimes they stay because there's a where they're trying to be compliant yeah mm-hmm. that would have to be analyzed yeah. of course the idea is really that it's slow and it's invisible yeah it is that will create anxiety for us mm-hmm. and also to justify our presence like people are paying us yeah and sometimes a good amount of money mm-hmm. and for what for us to sit in front of them or besides them and to say nothing that's rough It seems like a cheap thing to complain about. Oh, you complain that you're not talking or that you're not working. Actually, yeah. Though, you know, I believe that if we are doing the work, even the silence will be meaningful. The silence of the analyst. It can be. You know, it reminds me of something I read, a testimony I read when I was working in France with... Um, adults with psychosis and autism etc it was a time where someone just released a documentary very aggressive against uh, psychoanalysis regarding autism and yeah there are some clinicians that are pretending to do psychoanalysis or they do psychoanalysis but they are completely crazy from my point of view and, but i think it was a dad a dad of a autistic child at the time of the analysis and he actually went uh, he, ar- he argues in defense of psychoanalysis and explained how it felt so important for him to go to see a psychoanalyst and for i would say years say nothing and to be allowed to say nothing to say nothing because how impossible it is to put into words 
what it is to have an autistic child. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the autistic genius we can see in some TV shows or movies, but yes. like a really heavy autistic child, mm-hmm. completely removed or removed, apparently completely removed and functioning in a very different way than neurotic people do. And the distress, the, the unspeakable distress. Yeah. And so how in those moments indeed what the psychoanalyst is here to do is to tolerate the silence yeah it's not a silence of emptiness it's a silence of respect yes you're not talking about interventions there was a a uh, psychoanalyst from South America, Enrique Pichon Rivier, who, according to a disciple of him, was in disciple? session. Disciple? Uh, Isn't disciple a bit of a religious. Di- no, it's not a religious term necessarily. A disciple? Yeah, a student. Oh, that's different. Yeah, they follow. <laughs> okay, student. Oh, okay. Or I don't know if it had been an, a supervisee or. or I, I don't. But he relates a story that Pichon Riviere had a patient on the couch and the patient was in a psychotic episode thinking that a train was coming his way and was very disrupted. The train is coming, the train is coming. And Pichon Riviere then lay down on the couch, held the patient physically and said, then let's get out of here. So it's a very non-traditional intervention, in fact. Okay, I would have two things to say. You Oh, you would have uh, tons of things to no, say. Just two, just two. Oh, go ahead. Uh, first, you indeed do not work the same way with psychotic patients. No. Because the language of psychosis is very different, and if you um, maintain a neurotic frame... There's no communication. Correct. Second, why the hell would you put a psychotic patient on the couch? Yes, but this was the 1940s, I think, and therefore it was the thing to do. Ah. Oh. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. You so have you raised the two points okay. that... I, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I would but not... But don't do it. Don't do don't it do it. <laughs> don't do it. The point, I think, w- now looking back, you know, it's that you will have to do interventions that are not quote-unquote, the expected interventions, they require you to shift and do what is in the best interest of a patient. Okay, but then we are facing uh, a big tension, which is, the one I have in mind, is that there is, it requires the analyst to have a personality, to assume it. Mm Mm-hmm. To not just be a psychoanalyst, not just to play the psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. And that is not all the time easy. No, because being the psychoanalyst is a fantastic defensive maneuver to protect ourselves. So we, we are behind the facade. We are, yeah. We, we, we are the, the authority, we, blah, 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 all of we that. We say what the analyst, an analyst has to say. Has to say. But indeed, in daily practice, we are confronted with the fact that we need to adapt to each patient's 
mm-hmm. and that will turn us into weird version of this uh, almighty psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. Yet there are things we shouldn't do. I mean, I do keep in mind something my analyst in the US told me once, 99% of the time, the best thing to do is to stay in your chair. Yes, because the chair knows more. What? The chair knows more. I don't know if the chair knows more. But <laughs> the chair doesn't talk. Oh, no. But I, no what, <laughs> I know, I know what you're... Yeah, the idea is, what, is that don't rush to hold your patients. Exactly. Don't <laughs> rush to hold their hand, give them a mm-hmm. kiss. And all that. Don't. Mm-hmm. Resist the urge. Mm-hmm. When you are with psychotic patients, you can be more physical or more... That might be different, yeah. Even if, I have to say, with psychosis, be very mindful of the question of borders. Yes. Because if you think, oh, he's so psychotic, he's so cute, I'm going to hold him and he's going to feel better because he's into archaic thinking or functioning. So they will need that. Yeah, yeah, but they are also uh, indeed in more psychotic functioning. And if you touch them, the question of the distance between you and them might be dangerously attacked. Yeah, So be also mindful if you listen to us Mm -hmm. to to take that (laughs) into account. But... Indeed, when you are working with a psychotic patient, you are going to be more like yourself. You are going to need to share more of who you are as a human being. The more disorganized the person is, the more expressive you become. Even with neurotic patients, and I'm saying this very in a broad way, as usual, even then, you might find yourself being weird and needing... Weird, weird in the sense of, in for the example? sense of weird compared to the normal psychoanalyst. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, but of course. Uh, you may laugh uh, in the session, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Without fetishizing that, mm-hmm. the weird. Sometimes in presentations you can hear like, "Oh yeah, we had a laugh and it was very good," and then some people will say, "Oh yeah, laughing with our patients—that's the greatest thing we can do." Um, Nope. Not necessarily. Not, not, <laughs> not that either. <laughs> you have to take the temperature of, of the diet. Is this too hot? Is this too cold? And each diet will be different. And when I say cold or hot, I mean how much can I express or how much silence do I need to have for the patient to be able to move forward? That's what I mean. Well, this is it for today. Yes, that was quite a ride. Yes, it was indeed. <laughs> Why are we laughing? Because we haven't listened to the podcast as we Yet. say that. <laughs> <laughs> but you did. And we thank you for that. And we thank you for listening to the ending. Mm-hmm. If you have any question, please write to us. You can find us on social media, discussions on psychoanalysis, Facebook, Twitter, 
Yeah. Oh, it's not Twitter anymore. Yeah, X. let's keep it Twitter. Okay, let's keep yeah. it Twitter. Because uh, Elon Musk <laughs> seems to be a bit of a douche, so <laughs> I want to pretend. Well, let's pretend. <laughs> it's a protest. He didn't take over. We might have a Blue Sky uh, account at some point. With how little we use those accounts to communicate anyway, because we don't have time, I don't know if we need another one. <laughs> are we whining today? <laughs> yes, we are. Complaining and complaining. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening to us. If you want to s- send us a yeah. comment, please do so. We will be really happy to read that. Until next time, bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>